0: Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: Wow, what in the world is all that guy got to say? Well, if you happen to receive my pastor's perspective this week, you may know that I'm talking about sexuality today. Woo
0: sex it's a popular subject sex is used on Madison avenue to sell everything from cars to hamburgers now how many sitcoms can you think of where sex is an intricate part of the show probably plenty from books to movies to even video games sex is front and center No question that our sexuality is a very important thing, but does sex have limits? You'd probably be hard-pressed to find any in our culture today, but the question that needs to be asked is, does God have a sexual moral code?
1: God is the one who gets to set the rules. What is acceptable and what is not acceptable, what is morally right and what is morally wrong.
0: I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today in our series, Deceptive Cons, More Than Meets the Eye, Pastor Clay is taking on one of the most prevalent deceptions in our culture today, especially in the area of our sexuality. If it hurts nobody, it's nobody's business. I know of no other area where that deception has been perpetrated on the
1: people to a greater degree than in the area of sexual morality.
0: Certainly our culture has embraced that sentiment, but as you'll hear from Pastor Clay today, God has a very different take on what the standard of morality is when it comes to our sexuality. We're glad you've joined us today. Now here's Pastor Clay.
1: We've looked at it several Sundays in this series, uh, but we've had uh, a really kind of a theme verse for uh, this series, Deceptive Cons, More Than Meets the Eye. And the verse that we have looked at uh, comes from the book of Romans, chapter 1 and verse uh, 25, and it it looks like this, for they exchanged the truth of God, in the context they being people that that rejected God and and chose their own path, for they exchanged the truth of God for a, say it, lie. Lie. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Now, remember, the creature can be a whole wide range of things. Paul, there in that context of Roman, one mentions idols. He mentions uh, images made out of stone and wood and carvings and, and that sort of thing. But remember, the creature is also you and me. And the possibility is very real that we, ha- that we can really worship ourselves, that we become the focus of, of everything about life. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Deception. People are being led astray by lies. Whether those lies are specifically uh, spiritual, satanic in nature. Whether they specifically come from the enemy, from Satan. Or whether in a general roundabout way they come from just uh, untruth that's promoted in the world that, that people buy into. They're being conned. I I believe the Word of God teaches they're being conned. The question that you and I need to ask ourselves all the time is, hey, am I I lining up with Scripture in my life, in this area of my life, or this area of my life, with all all this stuff? Is there some area that perhaps I'm being conned in today? Let me show you some words that probably some of you will be familiar. Hopefully, most of you would be familiar with. They're from our Declaration of Independence, and they look like this. We hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words, it's just, it's just obvious. The framers of our Constitution said it's self-evident. It doesn't even need explanation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. And that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These are perhaps the most famous words in the history of the United States. Although <laughs> I, would, I would hate to think what the results might be if we took a, a man on the street interview and surveyed people and asked them from, from which document did that uh, come from? Had they ever even heard of it and which document did it come from? I'm afraid that some of that has been lost on today's culture. But there is something about those words that that capture you. There's something about those words that I think are very majestic and 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 they and they form the foundation of what has made this nation great. I really believe that they're an intricate part of forming the foundation of what has made this nation great. But I am afraid that those words are being reinterpreted in today's culture. I am afraid that those words are being thought of in a new way in our culture uh, today. And this, this, is, this is my version of it, but, but I believe that a modern version of that opening, those opening words, or pretty much those opening words in Declaration of Independence, a modern understanding of those words might look something like this. Everybody knows that we are equal, and that equality brings with it the undeniable right to pursue my life of happiness free from any restrictions. I really believe that that has become the mantra of our day. My life, my happiness, my choice. Personal uh, privilege, personal right has become the ethic of the culture in which we live. And anyone that challenges that ethic is villainized. And usually dismissed out of hand. And so the, de- the deceptive con is this. If it hurts nobody, it's nobody's business. That's the way I put the deceptive con. I, and, I, and I don't think that there's anybody in here that would argue with me that this has become a, a, a or the prevalent position in our culture and society today. Hey, it's my life. I can live my life any way I want, as long as what I do is not hurting anybody else. And there's the key right there. As long as what I'm doing isn't hurting anybody else, then it's nobody's business what I do. I have the right to choose to live my life the way I want because it's my happiness that matters most. And so it's my choices to make. And as long as my choices, as long as my happiness, as long as my actions do not bring hurt to you, then you have no right to say what I'm doing is right or wrong. That's what it comes down to. And I'm referring specifically today to the area of sexual morality. Because I, I do not know of any other area where this mantra... This this idea of if, if it hurts nobody, it's nobody's business. I know of no other area where that deception has been perpetrated on the people to a greater degree or to a more effective degree than in the area of sexual morality. My life, my right, my choice. So the question is, is that true? Is... Uh, whether something I do hurts somebody else, is that the litmus test for determining whether it's right to do or wrong to do? Let me be honest with you. This is a sensitive subject. It would be sensitive any time you're in church and you begin to talk about sex. You know, people start freaking out. But especially in the culture in which we live today, which has seemed to have thrown off all semblance of, of God's understanding of, of Sexual morality, uh, and so this is not an easy message to bring necessarily and i 'll be honest with you when I was working up the, the topics for this series on deceptive cons, I, I, I tried my best to work around this one, to fill up the calendar and not, and not do it, but i just couldn 't get away from the fact folks that this is so prevalent in our culture if, if, if what I do hurts nobody it 's nobody 's business that is so prevalent in our culture i just felt in the end that 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 i wasn't being true to god if i did not address this issue it doesn't mean that everybody accepts truth it doesn't mean that everybody uh, accepts a truth as an absolute truth certainly there are people that do not accept god's truth in in lots of areas on 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 the exclusivity of Jesus for salvation, on how you are saved, on, on uh, how we spend our money, how, you know, just myriads of subjects. There's lots of people that don't agree. But, but here's what, and I'll probably say this several times today, just because uh, an individual or a culture does not accept something as a truth, does not invalidate that truth. You understand what I'm saying? Listen, I, it's as hard as it is to believe. We were talking about this even this morning. As hard as it is to believe, there are still people today that do not believe Elvis is dead. <laughs> but trust me, Elvis has left the building. So the fact that somebody doesn't necessarily accept a truth does not invalidate that truth. So the deceptive con, if, 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 uh, if what I do hurts nobody, it's nobody's business. The question is, is that Is that the litmus test? Is that how we determine whether it's okay to do something? Is that the standard that that we set? What do we deal with? I want to walk through a few truths with you this morning. And I'm going to start with this one, with this truth. God gets to set the rules. Now, this is an idea that we've already established in this series on on a couple of other occasions. But uh, it was important to bring it out again today. Ladies and gentlemen, God is the one who gets to set the rules. God is the one who is able to determine... What is acceptable and what is not acceptable? What is morally right and what is morally wrong? And in the context of talking about our sexuality, what is morally uh, sexually acceptable and what is morally sexually not acceptable based on God's hand. God is the one who gets to set the rules. Why? Let me give you some reasons why God is the one who gets to set the rules. First, God is the creator and the owner of all that is. Remember, if you were here last week, you may remember that we talked about that. That God has that right because of the fact that God is the creator and the owner of everything that is. And the creator and owner of what is, is the one that gets to determine how his property is used. Or in, in last week's case, how access is gained to that property. Man, we talked about that whole thing and getting into heaven and that sort of thing. God is the creator and owner of all that is. Look what the prophet Isaiah has to say uh, in Isaiah forty four twenty four. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer and the one who formed you from the womb i the lord and the maker of all things stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone in other words in, in the godhead the godhead is the one who formed it the godhead is the one who stretched out the heavens and formed the earth by his will he is the creator and the owner of all that is that's why God gets to set the rules. But let me give you another reason why God gets to set the rules. God gets to set the rules because God has all knowledge. And listen, just from a practical standpoint, if, if somebody's setting the rules up on, on how to operate a piece of machinery or, or how to make something or how to bake a pie or, or whatever it is, wouldn't you generally want somebody that knows, has, you know, whether you put, you know, lard in it or sugar or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I just show up to eat it when my wife makes it. I, but but wouldn't you want somebody that has knowledge on the subject to be the one to make the decision? God has all knowledge. Can I get an amen? Yeah, amen. Look, let's look, look, look at a few passages of Scripture. Look at this. 1 Samuel 2, 3. Listen, listen to what, what, what the writer says. It says, boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. See what he's saying? He says, don't, don't you think you even can begin to, to do what you want to do and that God's not? No, you better understand that God, the Lord God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. In other words, it's in that knowledge that he makes determinations. In this case, of what is sexually, morally right and wrong. God has all knowledge. That gives him the right to be the one that sets the rules. Here's an, here's a, another one. Look at this. Proverbs two six. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come what? Say it. Knowledge and understanding. Now, can I just stop right here a minute? Um, because I've I've had this conversation with, with somebody just recently. We we're talking about this very idea. Listen, folks. God's word is either true or it's not. And and you and I can't determine which parts we we prefer or like or think this or think whatever god's word is true. through god either has all knowledge or not i believe that he does look at this one uh, isaiah again uh, 40 with whom did he consult and who gave him understanding it's a rhetorical question it's like duh and who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding the answer is nobody it, it was it was his it was always his he always had knowledge, he always knew the direction of the path, he always knew what was right and what was wrong it 's god 's call he 's the one who has all knowledge okay here's uh, uh, here here 's another idea. God is all good, God is all good, ladies and gentlemen and and when it comes to decision making time when it comes to deciding you know uh, should I do this, should I not do that, man? I want somebody. Giving me counsel or giving me direction that I know that that person is good. There's no hidden agenda. There's no, you know, well, this is going to work out well for me. This is, you know, uh, you know how people, y'all ever work with people that, that way? Oh, yeah. God is all good. Look, Romans 34:8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Ladies and gentlemen, God is good. God is good. Look at another one, Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is, say it, good. His loving kindness is, say it, everlasting. And his faithfulness to all generations, to everybody. Not just to one particular group of people, not to just one age of, of, of civilization, but to all generations. God is good. God is loving kindness. God is everlasting and faithful to all of those things. God is good. Just the, Just look at this. Just the very idea, just this phrase, the Lord is good. Psalm 135, Psalm 145, Jeremiah 33, 11, Lamentations 3, Nahum 1, 7. God is good. The Lord is good. That's who I want making decisions. That's who I want to know that if I can't figure it out, I'm not sure and I don't whatever. I don't have to worry about that because God is good. So God is the one who gets to make those terminations. Let me give you one other reason why God has the right to make those terminations. God never changes. Oh, listen, do you know how, do you understand how important this is? God never changes. Maybe you've seen this passage of Scripture in Malachi 3.6. Uh, would you read this out loud with me, please, this whole passage? For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Sons of Jacob is just another term for the nation of Israel. And God was reminding them in their rebellion. They had run off in their rebellion. And God was basically saying to them, man, you guys better be glad I don't change because I entered into a covenant with you. I made a commitment to to love you and and to be your God no matter what. It's a good thing for you. I don't change. Every one of us could point that finger back at us, couldn't we? Boy, it's a good thing God doesn't change. I, I hope you have an idea of how important all of them are, but especially that last idea that God doesn't change, how important that is to know that no matter what shifting sands of, 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 cultural change takes place no matter what, uh, styles come and go and all. That. We were talking about styles this morning out, out, out there in the cafe and, you know, dress styles and how they come and go and stuff. And, uh, uh, last week I had on, a, uh, I bought a new shirt at, at Ross's. I think I got it at Ross's and it had, it was all paisley and stuff. And, uh, and I, I, I had to, everybody, so many people said, man, I love that shirt. It's awesome. Sure look good. We went to, went to a restaurant after church and some guy said to me, love your shirt, man. But you know what? Wow! If I'd if I'd held on to all the paisley shirts I had back in the seventies, <laughs> right? It comes, it goes, it it changes. It not God, not God. His standard always remains the same. Think think about those of you that are the outdoors people, uh, campers, preppers, whatever else. <laughs> How many, okay, should I ask, no, okay, for those of you that have bug-out bags, okay, if you're a prepper, you know what that is, those of you that have bug-out bags, uh, I I would hazard to guess that in some form or fashion, you have a compass in your bug-out bag, right? Probably? Can you imagine a compass? The whole point of a compass, it's magnetic fields and all that stuff, but a compass finds True north. Can you imagine if, you're, if you had a compass that couldn't find true north, that couldn't find a direction for you to go? What are you left with? Just wandering aimlessly, finding your way as best you can. I think I passed that tree earlier. That's, that's what you're left with without a compass that works. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what we're left with without a compass that doesn't work in our own lives. If we don't have a moral compass, a standard that doesn't change, that always points to true north, then we are left at our own devices to Figure it out as best we can and hope things work out. How good it is to know that God never changes. So God gets to set the rules. And here's the, I think I've got a little statement. God is the only one who has both the legal right and the right wisdom to establish what is right. I mean, when you put it all together... He's the creator, an owner of all that is. He has all knowledge. He is all good. He never changes. When you put all that together, you come up with a God who is the only one who has both the legal right and the right wisdom to establish what is right. God gets to set the rules. Here's the second uh, big truth. God has set the rules. In the area of sexual morality, God has set The rules. Actually, it would be more proper for me to say God has set the rule. Because, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to God's standard of sexual morality, there is only one rule. Here it is one man and one woman in covenant marriage. That's the rule. Well, show me. All right. Let's look at uh, Genesis uh, chapter 2. God speaking, he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's, it's emotional, it's, it's spiritual, it's physical, one flesh, the union. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God establishes it. He says, he says a, a man leaves his home, he grows up, he leaves his mother and his father, and he is joined to his wife. And the two then become one flesh. Yeah, but that's, that's Old Testament. Everybody knows that stuff is old. Oh, uh, by the way, just because something is old doesn't mean that it's old-fashioned. Thou shalt not kill, murder, really, is what it says. Thou shalt not murder goes back pretty much to the beginning of time. But most people still think that's a pretty good one. So just because it's old doesn't mean that it's old-fashioned. But that's, that's, that's Old Testament. Everybody knows that stuff is, is old. What about the New Testament? What does the New Testament have to say? Well, let's look and see. The book of Ephesians. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Well, that sounds remarkably similar. Yeah, yeah, but, but didn't Paul write the book of Ephesians? Everybody knows that guy was like a religious nuthead. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one that really matters. Jesus is the one we really pay attention to. All right. Let's see what Jesus has to say about it. Matthew chapter 19. And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together... Let no man separate. Three different times in three different places, God says the exact same thing. He doesn't really even say it three different ways, which would be okay. But he says it exactly the same way all three times. He says in the Old Testament, he says it in the Pauline epistles, and he says it in the Gospels. Once would be enough. Three times, I think, it establishes that fact that God has set the standard, one man, one woman in covenant marriage. Now, there are two aspects of this standard that we have to look at. We have to look at these, folks. First is this. It is male and female. Now, listen, can I, I meant to say this earlier. Let me, can I just stop right here and say this before, before we get into it? Uh, no doubt some people will, will hear this message and interpret it as being an attack on homosexuality. I assure you it is not. It is a confrontation of all sexual immorality. All sexual immorality. Whatever form, shape, or fashion that it takes. But in Genesis chapter 2, in Ephesians chapter 5, and there in Matthew chapter 19, what comes out over and over again about this standard that God has said is that it is male and female. Based on the authority of God's word, a same-sex relationship is is not okay with God that's outside the standard that god has has said is best for us now listen i'm going to get to the reasons why god's standard is is best i'm going i'm going to get to that in a minute but but we have to establish the fact that God says it is male and it is female, and that's the way that I have created it um, p- People point to different passages of scripture you know when when arguing. Against homosexuality, but let, let me just let's just finish with, with Romans one as far as this aspect of it. The, that same area where we were, that same idea in Romans one twenty five. Remember where Paul's talking about exchanging the truth of God for a lie. It's all it's in this passage. Just because they did these things, God left them and let them go their sinful way. God left them and let them go. Let them go their sinful way. Listen, forget about. Even sexual sin. I'm talking about sin in general. Do you, do you understand that that's a principle? People say, oh, well, you know, it's never too late with God. No, it's not. But don't, don't think that God is just going to let you indulge in behavior that he's dictated and, and declared is wrong and think that God is okay with that and that there's not... God left them and let them go their sinful way, wanting only to do evil. As a result, they became sexual sin. Using their bodies wrongly with each other. They traded the truth of God for a lie. There it is. In that context, they traded the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped and served what had been created instead of the God who created those things. In other words, they, they ran from God. Just people in general, they ran from God. They, 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 they weren't interested in God or His standards of, of anything. Because people did those things, God left them and let them do the shameful things they wanted to do. Women stopped having natural sex and started having sex with other women. In the same way, men stopped having natural sex and began wanting each other. Men did shameful things with other men and in their bodies they received the punishment of their wrongs. It is male and it is female. Now, are there people with same-sex attraction? Yes, there are. Yes, there are. There are people that have same-sex attraction. And there may be a number of reasons for that. Some of it, pretty established fact, that some of it can be um, contextual background, things that happened in in a person's past. There is evidence of that. I'm quite sure that some of it is caused by cultural influences. I'm, I'm convinced that some of it is culturally influenced. That, uh, we, we went to the uh, 4th of July fireworks show last year in downtown Raleigh and we were sitting on Fayetteville Street uh, waiting for the show to begin and there were, and there were two uh, young ladies, two little girls really sitting behind us. Uh, one, you know, I'm guessing, but I, I would guess she was just kind of entering into adolescence. She's, I'm guessing, 11, 12, 13. She's somewhere right in there. The other girl was definitely older. I don't know how much older I'm guessing she's 14, 15, 16, maybe even 17, I don't know. But but she's definitely older than the other girl. And, and they're, they apparently know each other, but they must not like be best buddies or whatever. They're having this conversation, talking about this and that. And then just out of the blue, uh, the older girl says to the younger girl, Are you gay? I mean, just the way you'd ask if you like olives on your pizza. I mean, it's just, are you gay? And the younger girl... The little girl just kind of sheepishly responds, well, I I don't know. And the older girl says, you don't know if you're gay or not? Now, would anybody like to guess what that little girl was thinking about when she went home that night? When she went into her bedroom and thought, well, why don't I know? I I wonder if I, am I gay? The, the, The fact that I don't know, does that mean I'm bisexual? I, I'm, I'm just telling you, that type of cultural influence cannot be dismissed. And then when you add to that the fact that Hollywood seems to make it make you think, you would assume if you watch Hollywood, that every third person is, is gay, you add all that, it's cultural influences that impact young people. And I know that young people are much more open to experimenting with their sexuality as a result of influence in, in the culture today. Some of the reasons that some people have a same-sex attraction are, are, are or may be physiological. There could be physiological things. Uh, scientists have been, quite honestly, been trying to find a gay gene for, for years and years and years. The uh, best I can tell, looking at the research, there's no evidence of that whatsoever. But there, there are some indications that there could be uh, uh, some, uh, some variances, some deficiencies in uh, hormonal things and, uh, and just some other areas. Quite honestly... It's unclear why some people have same-sex attraction and some people don't. But here's what matters. It doesn't change the standard. It doesn't change the standard that God has established. And so that a person can stand on this unchanging standard and reject um, what culture says or what feelings are saying or whatever else and can say, God's word is true and I need to stand ...on the truth of God's word. It is male and it is female. Let me give you the second part of that standard. It is husband and wife. Let me be clear. There is far more sexual sin... ...that goes on in this nation... ...that is of a heterosexual nature... ...than there is of a homosexual nature. Far more heterosexual sin... ...goes on in this nation... Than homosexual sin. According to. uh, Wikipedia. A study done by the Williams Institute. In April of 2011. Said that only 3.8% of Americans. Identify themselves as gay or lesbian. 3.8% that's it. Identify themselves as gay or lesbian. But. According to a study done this year. By the Centers for Disease Control. Almost half. Half. 48%, almost half of women between the ages of uh, 15 and 44 say that they they lived with the person, uh, their sexual partner, that they lived with their sexual partner prior to marriage. Almost half of the Americans surveyed. And hey... That doesn't, that doesn't even include the, the, the numbers of people who are sexually active, but they, they, they're not living with the person. They haven't moved in. They're not living with the person, but they're still sexually active. It's the whole sex in the city syndrome, what I call the sex in the city syndrome. Sex has become a recreation sport. It doesn't, that doesn't even include that. So l- let's just say, let's just let's spell it out very clearly. It, it, yes, it's male and female, but it is husband and wife. That is the parameter that God has given within uh, the the gift of sexuality, and that's what it is. ladies gentlemen. It is a gift. Is to be enjoyed. Um, look at the writer. Look at the, what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter thirteen: Marriage is to be held in honor among all. The marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators, that's that's people that are sexually active that aren't married. They're just. They're they're just sexually active and they're not married to anybody. For fornicators and adulterers, that's people that are married but having sex with somebody besides their spouse, God will judge because he set the standard and and people are violating that standard. Now listen, Hebrews 13.4 is talking about people that are are unconfessed, unrepentant, unwilling to change their way of life. They they don't care what God says. They're, They're living contrary to God's... Will And it doesn't matter to them, it's, it's their life, it's, it's their happiness, it's their choice. That, that whole kind of deal that we've mentioned before. That's who Hebrews thirteen four says, God, God has judgment coming on that. It has not, had nothing to do with people that genuinely repent, come to God. I'm so grateful for myself that, that in the grace, by the grace of God, He came to me and was able to bring me to a place of, re, of repentance when I came to Christ many, many years ago. But this is the standard that He has set. This is what He says it will take one one man, one woman, one husband, one wife. Okay, um, let, let's let's get into why God's rules are better. I'm about to run out of time here. Why God's rules are better? We've already established the fact that God is the one who sets the rules. We've said what the rule is: one man, one woman in covenant marriage. There, there's not there's just not any wiggle room there. Why God's rules are better? Because remember remember what the deceptive con is. Hey, as long as what I'm doing doesn't hurt anybody else, then it's nobody's business. But is that true? Really? Are you sure that what you're doing, and I don't, I don't mean you or not you, I don't, I don't know what everybody's doing in here, but are you sure that what you're doing doesn't hurt anybody or yourself? All right, let, let's look at a few things. First off, God is in better position to decide, than, than we are to decide what hurts us. He's just in better position to decide what hurts us. Because remember, he's got all knowledge. He's infinite. So before we begin to say, well, that doesn't hurt anybody, or I'm not hurting myself, or I'm not... God is in a better position than we are to decide what hurts us. Let, let me give you just an example. Those of you that are parents, um, if you happen to take your children out uh, trick-or-treating a couple of weeks ago, and they collect it gobs of candy did you let your children consume all of their candy at one sitting that night when you got home no no there's probably some freak in here that said yeah buddy i let them have every bit of it no (laughs) no did did you get did you let them have all their candy why because because you want it to rain on their parade why because because you're you're the big party pooper why? Because you just enjoy hearing your children scream at the top of their lungs and cry? Is it possible that your perspective is just a little bit better than their perspective? Is it possible that you know that if they eat too much candy at one setting, one sitting, they're, they're going to get an upset stomach? Is it possible that you know that if, if, you, if you make them pace it out, it's going to last longer? They can, they can have candy right up through Christmas. Is it possible that you know that a sugar coma is not really a good thing? Because, because listen, they don't know that. They don't know that. All they know is candy is good. More candy is gooder. Candy is fun. More candy is great. Now listen, they, they might, they might pitch a fit. They might cry. They might say you're being unfair, unjust to them. They might say you don't love them, but is it possible that your perspective is just a little bit better than their perspective? And listen, we could look at so many examples about that, right? Everything from chasing a ball into the street to uh, putting their hand on a a hot stove. Your perspective is simply better than theirs. And so whether they understand it or even like it, they have to trust you because you're their parent. Or they better trust you. Or they will literally have the scars from not trusting you or not obeying you. God's perspective is, is better. Okay, here, here's, here's, a, here's another one. God always has our best interests in mind. Listen, you, contrary to popular belief, ladies and gentlemen, God is not the cosmic killjoy of the universe. Okay, I, I know that persona exists in the world today. And I'm afraid churches have have often done stuff to contribute to that idea. You can't have a good time in church, you can't laugh, you can't… that kind of whole thing. But God is not the cosmic killjoy of the universe. God is good. And God always has our best interests in mind. Let me give you an example. One of the uh, rationales that is given for uh, living with a person prior to marriage… Is that hey, uh, you know we got we want to find out if we're combat- compatible and you know how's this thing going to be It's kind of the whole idea uh, try it on, see if it fits mentality before you buy, right and that hey that on um, that that sounds kind of right. Ra- yeah, try it, I see before you go through the whole marriage thing, and, and then you got a divorce and all that kind of stuff. Maybe maybe it's best to just kind of try it on and see if it, that that sounds fairly rational. Until you look at the actual data that shows that the divorce rate is higher among people that live together prior to marriage than those that don't. Did you know that? <laughs> it's, it's almost as if God knew what He was doing when He said, "No, don't come together until you're husband and wife." God always has our best interests in mind. Listen, can I say this? Do you, do you know that... Have you ever thought about the fact that virtually all... Now, there's some transmission methods beyond sex. But virtually all sexually transmitted diseases would disappear if the world practiced God's idea of safe sex. One man, one woman in covenant marriage. Like I said, there's, you know, HIV can be transmitted a couple different other ways and that sort of thing. But, I, but it would be drastically reduced and virtually all other sexually transmitted diseases would eventually run their course, would disappear if the world simply practiced God's idea of safe sex. Could it be that God actually has our best interests at heart? Could it be that that's what's on his mind? Okay. All right. God always has our best interests in mind. Now, let's get to the last main heading. What should God's people do with God's rules? Another way of putting it would be this. What, what is the church to do? We are the church, the body. If you're here and you're a believer in Christ, you're part of the body of Christ. You are the church. It's not a building, it's us. How, how should the church respond in light of God's standard and the world's rejection of that standard and, and ridicule of that standard What is the church to do? Here's the first one. And this is the most important one. Live it out. Live it out, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to me. I was blown away by this statistic. I knew it was high. But this, according to the uh, Association of Evangelicals. So this is... An evangelical is a person that believes that faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and that you must personally commit your life to Jesus Christ in order to be saved. You're not saved by works, you're saved only by grace through faith and you must commit your life to Je- Jesus Christ. That would be a definition of an evangelical. According to the Association of Evangelicals, 80% of professing followers of Je- of, of professing single followers of Jesus between the ages of 18 and 29, 80% admit to being, have, having been or being sexually active. 80%. 8 out of every 10, if my math is correct. And these are the people that, that profess Jesus. Listen, folks, we, we can't, we've got, oh, something's got to change. We can't have 80% of our single people saying, praise God, I believe in Jesus. I just don't believe in his moral standard. We, we can't do that because if we, don't, if we don't live it out, we have no right to talk to anybody else about their sexuality. No right whatsoever. We have to begin to live it out. Let me be as plain as I can be. And I know y'all aren't the only one that are hearing this. Our, our messages are podcasts and, and they're on our website and they can watch them and all that kind of stuff. Let me be just as plain as I can be. If you are not married and you are sexually active Stop it. If you are living with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your fiance, move out. If you sense yourself being attracted to another person that is not your spouse, run away. And then work on your marriage and figure out what's deficient. where, Where are you? If you believe that you, that you have an attraction to a person of, of the same sex, reject it based on the authority of God's word. And in every one of those cases, in every case, whether you're talking about, uh, about adultery or pornography or, or fornication or, or whatever, whatever, you do, in every case, ask God for his power and his strength to help you to overcome the, the sin tendencies that every single one of us have. That every one of us have. Let's be honest, because God has set a standard, and we have to live it out, but we got no business talking to other people about it. Second, lay it out. This, this, this is a tragedy. This is a tragedy around us. I'm telling you, in my opinion, this is a tragedy. Churches have bought into the lie that they either have to embrace the world's idea of sexual ethic, or they need to sit down and shut up. In the world, uh, the, the church is is doing one of those two things. Churches are embracing it, and they say, "Well, it's just it's a new time, it's a new day, it's a new ethic." What was that earlier about God not changing? I, something like that. They're they're either embracing it or or, or the church is just being silent. Because we because we don't want to offend anybody. And listen, can I tell you this? I'm fully aware that there may be some people that will not come back here as a result of this message today. Fully aware of that. And can I tell you this too? I don't want cross culture to be known as one of those churches that's known more for what it's against than what it's for. I don't, I don't want that to be the case for us. But we have to speak truth. We have to speak truth in the people's lives if we care about them. If you have a friend or a family member or or, or, or someone that you're close to that is involved in some type of sexual immorality, you, you have to challenge them on it. You have to share with them what God's standard is and why you believe it's right. Listen, they may not accept the standard, just like People may not accept a standard. If they come in here and preach, and if they don't agree with that standard, if they say it's not, it's not what I want for my life, they may not accept it. But we've still got to say, here's what God says. Here's why he set a standard. Here's why he's the best one to determine this standard. We have to lay it out. Which then leads to the third one, folks. We have to live it out and lay it out, and we have to love them in. It, I'm talking about another travesty. It is a travesty. That we have nut jobs. Let me just, I don't know what the biblical phrase for that is. But it is a tragedy that we have nut jobs like that pastor out in the Midwest somewhere. I don't even know what state he's from, don't even want to know. that, That has his church people going around holding up signs that say things like, God hates queers. Are you kidding me? That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And by the way, if you have that much hatred within you, you better check your own spiritual condition. Because something is wrong with that picture. Can I say this to you? God loves everybody. That doesn't mean that he accepts me if I'm involved in some sex, sexual or other sinful uh, practice that is, that is contrary to his standard. It doesn't mean that he just says, well, I love you. So, um, no, that's, that's not love. That's not love. That, that, that's, like, that's, like your, that's like your kid saying, hey, mommy, daddy, I'm going to go ride my bike out on 440. And you saying, well, I love you, son. I, I love you, daughter. And so I, I accept your lifestyle choice. As short as it will be. We, we can't, we don't, that's not Love. And that's not the kind of love God gives, and that's not the kind of love we have. No, we have, to, we have to lay it out. We can do it in a Christ-like manner, but we have to love people enough to know that these doors are open to anybody that comes in these doors. Are you okay with that? That a person can come in in whatever, whatever their sexuality is, whatever their preferences are, whatever lifestyle they are in at this point in their life, that they can come in and know that they can be, that they can be loved on, that they are welcome, but that they can also hear the truth. And we've had, people, we've had people come in that are living a lifestyle, sexually speaking, living a lifestyle contrary to God's standard. And we've had people hear it, reject it, and walk out again. I'm okay with that. I don't like it. I wish they would stay. I wish they would sit under God's word. I wish they would let God's spirit work in their heart and their life and, and show them why his way is the best. But we've got to love people. We've got to love them. We've got to love them where they are. So that God can take them where he wants them to be. And by the way, every one of us have sin in our lives. We may be redeemed and covered in the blood of Christ. But I remember what my life was like before Christ. And I remember how, how vulnerable, how fleshly I can be at times even now. We have to love people. Let me, let me close with just a story. A few years ago... A few years ago, we had a young lady attend cross-culture. She was invited by a, by a co-worker, and she came to cross-culture. She was living a lifestyle that was outside of God's sexual standard, moral standard. But she came in. She came in with the, the person that, that she was living with, and that person only came really only one time and wasn't interested. But, but that girl kept coming back. That young lady kept coming back. And she came back Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday for about... I don't know, probably six months. I don't remember exactly now how long it was. But the end of a service one day when we give this, this response time and the altar is open and we tell people, let God deal, you deal, you respond to God. We have that time. And that young lady came forward and just tears just streaming down her face. And she said to me, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I need Christ in my life. Cindy and I met with her later that week. We had lunch with her. And she told us about her background and about... Uh, the, the lifestyle she was living and the person she was living with. And, and she told us, when I left church Sunday, I went straight uh, to where the person worked. My, my partner went straight to them and told him I can't do this anymore. I, I've, I've got to follow Christ. She said, I, I've, I've got I've to move in back home with my, my dad in another town. It's a very dysfunctional situation. She said, I've got to do that. And, and here's what she said to Cindy and I that, that she said uh, to the person that she'd been with for like 12 years. She said, I'd rather live in dysfunction than live in sin. Now listen, here, here's the deal. Here's what, here's what I want you to get about this. In the six months or whatever, that time that she was coming before, before she responded to God's call on her life, I, I look back, I try to check. I don't think that I ever mentioned the word homosexuality or lesbianism or anything. I don't think I, I even mentioned the word in the whole time. Not because I was avoiding it, but I, I'm also not going to go out of my way to pick on It's just I hadn't dealt with it in a text that dealt with that. But you see, it's just the power of the Word of God. It's just the truth of God's Word that has its effect on people's lives. If we we say to them, "Come, just come here. Just just come on. We're just going to love on you. We're we're not going to be afraid to tell you you shouldn't be living with your boyfriend. We're not going to be afraid to tell you because we love you. We care about you. That's why. But God is in the business of changing lives, ladies and gentlemen. He changed mine. I can tell you that. God is in the business of changing lives. And he's invited us to be in that business with him. Not that we do the changing, He does, but that we do the inviting, that we do the reaching out, that we love on people where they are so that God can take them where He wants them to be. That's how the people of God should respond. We've got to live it out, we've got to lay it out, and we've got to love them in
0: Well, it's not hard to see that God's standard concerning the expression of our sexuality is much higher than what our culture says it should be. And as Pastor Clay explained today, God is the only one who really has the right or ability to set the standard for our morality. As we were also reminded today, God's standard is not there just to ruin our good time. God's standards are always for our ultimate good. He's in the best position to know what really hurts us and others. Certainly, many people will never be willing to accept God's standard of one man and one woman in covenant marriage. But as Pastor Clay reminded us today, followers of Jesus have to live it out. Our standard of sexual morality has to line up with God's. We also have to lay it out. We have to speak truth into the lives of those around us. Finally, we have to love them in it is possible to speak truth in a loving way and allow God's Spirit to change people's lives. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross-Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7, and we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you.